and the actors are acting in front of you, it's as if they're acting only for you. I don't restrict their performance. You can never tell from an actor, from a leading actor, what he's going to do. Act yourself, figure out how to rehearse. You just have to do it. Try to not over-talk it or overthink it. Leave some mystery to happen. Because I was an actor myself, I know what they're going for. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're talking monologues, long speeches and expositions, how not to make them sound like recitals. So we're going to go over this topic with you guys and hopefully we won't do any monologues ourselves, but uh, bear with us and uh, yeah, hopefully this podcast doesn't sound like a recital. Yeah, welcome to our drivel. <laughs> All right. So let's let's first start out with uh, defining what a monologue is. Like let's let's go on the basis of just saying what what is uh, the idea of a monologue. What what is a monologue to you, Dean? So a monologue to me is a longer than usual speech of one character speaking or talking. Uh, it can be to a group of people or it can be to an individual person or it can even be to themselves. So generally, a monologue can be some, like a paragraph, uh, anywhere from as little as a paragraph to a page or two of dialogue. Cool. What I'd like to add is um, monologues usually tend to grasp the idea of a character's uh, uh, exposition to to move the story forward or to uh, allow them to express their key ideas on what what they're actually feeling psychologically or what they're trying to convey to the audience. It's a key piece of information, um, and it's usually tended uh, where, like Dean said, where it's one uh, or many characters being silent while this character gives the long speech. Uh, explaining uh, whatever it is they're uh, thinking about or struggling. Um, It usually stems from the idea of the character's need to speak because they're in some sort of crisis, meaning that um, the reason why they're telling this person or group of people um, at this particular time, at this particular place, is because some ideas and some thoughts have been uh, brewing in their head and they've needed to express themselves in order to to get some some point across uh, the biggest misconception which actors and directors fail at when they look at monologues is having the idea of it being a one person speaking while the other uh, people are not necessarily there to participate in this speech. So what I'm trying to say is the misconception is that the monologue becomes about this character's turmoil and how I feel needs to be expressed because um, this is uh, this is about me. Whereas if we take from the book of life or the book of, uh, you know, our everyday, we'd say that, more often than not, the reason why a character speaks, uh, sorry, the reason why a person speaks is to get their point across to somebody. So it's usually done with somebody else in the room, kind of like what I'm doing right now. I'm basically going on a long-winded speech and my point is uh, is trying to be conveyed through 
the words that, uh, you know, or the topic that I've been brewing with in the last couple of days or, you know, whatever it is, how it comes out is on the basis of uh, me, non, me not knowing the end result, but having an idea of a target to kind of aim for. Um, where where it kind of diverges is the idea that it, it's it always has to be thought of as I need to tell this to someone or something, right? Um, not because I'm trying to feel something, but because there is an important um, uh, need for me to tell this person. Otherwise, you as the character in, in this piece or, you know, in this scene would not be telling it to this particular other character in this space. Now, there is, people will say, there is soliloquies and soliloquies are known to basically have one character be in dialogue with themselves. There's no other person in the room to be or not to be. We always rant about that uh, Shakespearean speech but the misconception is once again he is talking to someone or something right and that someone is his own mind he's trying to uh, have a discussion with his own mind in order to come up with an answer to that question he's not just saying it for the purpose of saying that speech he's trying to come to a conclusion right um, so the person, uh, that's listening or the person that's across, uh, the, the, the character that's giving this exposition, giving this speech, this monologue. And I hate the word of the use of monologue because it becomes such a textual, such a, uh, university based term that it, it degrades the idea of the importance of, uh, the need to speak it to the other person. Um, and it it tends to flout about, in, especially in acting classes, as as I am more important as the character, and I am feeling all these things. Or I'm going through all these things, so listen to me, because because I don't care that you're in this room. I don't care whether you're nodding and agreeing with me, um, because I'm feeling these things, and I need to push them upon you. Now there is certain characters, there is certain things that, uh, sorry, there is certain situations. Uh, within a scene where a character could be uh, behaving that way, but it's 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 very 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 limited. It's it's very unusual. The importance of having the other person, the importance of you know conducting these long speeches and monologues and getting your actors to uh, convey these messages, um, are usually in conduit with the other actor with their response see I'm, I'm talking to dean right now he's looking at me he's nodding he's agreeing he's making eye contact and i'm i'm conveying these messages to him and he's relaying messages back even though he's not speaking there is still this dance of uh the other person having their uh presence there that basically all the things that I'm conveying, even if I'm looking off and trying to construct the ideas and thoughts in my head, I still go back to make eye contact with Dean to reassure whether my point is coming across or whether whether it isn't. So the adjustment is happening in that real time. Absolutely, and that's and that's what it is. You're 
almost conveying like you're painting a picture is a great way to talk about a monologue is like you're painting a very normally it's a very descriptive picture uh generally a monologue will have a lot of uh colorful words a lot of uh senses and um feelings and painting like maybe some metaphors and some imagery so it's this is very colorful dialogue and you're just checking in on that person are they listening to me are they taking what i am because i'm like are they getting the picture that i'm painting are they actually like taking in that picture and listening to what i'm saying are they taking it in are they being affected by it because normally it's not it's not even just about are they listening do you do you feel like there's going to be a change a change is going to happen because of this monologue do you feel that they're being moved by this monologue and that's what it, a monologue is it's a it's a it's it's a painting it's art it's art is moving and that's what you're trying to do you're conveying this very powerful painting and you're trying to see if the other person's getting the art you know generally you paint a picture and you know great art kind of it's it's up for interpretation you know you don't know what the other the audience you hope that you the, the the public are going to take something from it that they're going to build an interpretation from it but you you don't know exactly what it is so it's almost like the painting is staring back and saying what do you think this is? You know, are you getting what I'm saying? You know, will you, will you bounce something back and, and really understand what I'm saying to you? Or are you completely lost and taking it at face value without really looking into it? Because I'm really describing it and I'm hoping that you look into what I'm saying a little bit deeper. Yeah, exactly, exactly. A really good point because the necessity to speak uh, a long-winded speech tends to usually be geared in in you know strong uh, thoughts and ideas and emotions that you're trying to exert, um, whether it be you know uh, an object, a person, you know whatever it is in front of you. You're it's it's not expressing it for the purpose of expressing it. It's expressing it to exempt. To, to enact a change in in that person's thinking, in that person's uh, ideas, um, and particularly if you've listened to Dean and I if, in this podcast for a while, the reason why we you know are doing this and why we're speaking is to enact that change. At the core of what we're talking about and, and speaking on these, let's call it monologues or speeches or whatever it is. There's always an idea of, you know, us conveying information, you know, and trying to, to the best of our abilities, uh, enact some sort of change or place ideas upon the audience out there, you know, and each other because we're, we're we're trying to learn as well. So, I just want to go over um, some other traps which you might witness uh, whether you're an actor or a director it, it uh you, you should be on your radar um when doing a monologue and that's playing uh the idea of the monologue playing an attitude of the monologue and also playing into the lines um we've spoken this spoken about this before a little bit and we've mentioned um 
uh, in another podcast where punctuation is seen in a textual format. It's seen at a university or a scholar level, but in an artistic level, we don't speak in punctuation. We don't speak in uh, full stops and commas. And, you know, the, the way we read is very different to the way we speak. It's, it's very evident. It's, it's very rudimentary. But we tend to forget those ideas when we're trying to convey it in a, in a long-winded speech that the way they're learnt, the way the monologues are conveyed, tend to be, and uh, some, some people might disagree with me, some people might agree, but I believe the, uh, the idea of having the lines there and, and reading them as they are to learn the monologue without knowing what the monologue is about traps the director, traps the actor to make it sound... Uh, inauthentic and it makes it sound like a recital that's why Shakespeare is, is is very very hard to to execute and a lot of classic text because the biggest trap is to read into the sing-song um, vernacular so um, the drawback is having the lines written as they are seeing that these lines or this monologue is about some sort of uh, let's say, hypothetic um, characters trying to, you know, confront his mother or his father or it's a highly emotional monologue that they're expressing. And they usually are. Monologues are usually there to demonstrate the crisis of the character. So it, it, it usually gives you the core of what this person is about. So let's say we have this hypothetical monologue where the character is expressing his hate for his his mother let's say he's he's confronting his mother and he's got this long speech of how you haven't treated me you know fairly my whole life and blah 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 and i hate you and hypothetical this these are the words that are written and then immediately actors and directors they look at that monologue and they go haha this is my moment to shine or this is this is their moment to shine this is the big moment where you know this heightened state of emotion presents me uh, an emotional attitude to convey it to this person that I've hated right to 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 my mother in this scene and what happens is the biggest trap and 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 the number one takeaway from from monologues or from speeches whatever is those traps for whatever the character should be feeling or whatever the, the attitude that they're presenting to, to that character has no consequence. And then this is where actors and directors fail. The need to, 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 to express how I feel that I'm angry at you or, or I hate you or, um, you know, or, or whatever it is, it fronts no consequence of what's actually being said. Because I always tell actors you know or, or directors if if i'm saying this speech or if you're doing this speech to your mother if you actually do it to your real mother without her knowing that you're doing a monologue it would be very very different to how you're actually presenting it as a quote-unquote heightened monologue where i'm feeling all these things and it's great to feel because here's the trap actors want to use their own uh you know you they want to use acting as their own emotional outlet 
to be able to express what they've been suppressing. And when they see something that's, you know, so tasteful of like uh, these splash of emotions that they're like, oh my God, I can, I can get to feel something that they forget that, you know, hypothetically, if you were doing this to your real mother, there would be a lot of consequences to, you know, what you say to your mother. Now, I'm not saying acting is real life. I'm saying that this character is not a character. It's a person in a circumstance based on a story that you're presenting. And that person is coming to a crisis, which they're dealing with their mother at that time. Meaning that it would be very, very different to how it is initially presented. And I believe that um, when you tie in the, the, the reality of that circumstance based on your mother uh, in the scene and how you feel about her, yeah, you might be a psychopath and you hate your mother. But is there a little trinkle of, of a consequence of you saying those things? Do you know what I mean? Is there something that's, that's brought into that scene that could uh, give you uh, huge consequences based on what you are actually saying. If you're confronting your mother and your psychopath and you say, I hate you, I want to slap your head against the, the table or whatever. Is there a moment where you could say to yourself that, hey, my mother could, could report me or she, she could have me committed? Or is there a moment where you're dealing with a real person in front of you rather than an actor? in front of you right yeah and i'm not saying you, you're actually going to do these things i'm saying that's that's where this uh idea of doing monologues um comes into play because the moment it is in play means and you see it you see it when 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 they're done a certain way that the actors turn and whether it's been directed that way or whether it's, you know, whatever it is, they turn outwardly and you go, okay, now they're going to do the monologue and you see it. It's now I'm going to do the monologue. Now I'm going to present it to you. And it's a trap. It, it took me years to un understand that. And it's, it's, it's the idea of this character exists as a real person. So as a real person, the way I uh, deal with this uh, crisis in this moment comes out of two things. Something that's personally psychological that I'm dealing with at that moment or something that's circumstantially evident in the place that I'm in that triggers that crisis for me to speak, right? Um, and it warrants to say that we as real people, and this is what directors and, and actors tend, tend to miss, is we as real people tend to be in a flux of being in the middle of something. We never, we never really start uh, a speech for the sake of just standing there and doing the monologue and starting a speech. We never do that. We're always in the middle of something that triggers us to say what we need to say. Because of, like I said, either the psychological ideas or either the circumstantial ideas, right? So those uh, tie-ins allow you to to understand. Okay, if I'm this, you know, character in this scene, if I'm looking at it as a director and I'm directing this this monologue, should I be getting this actor to to, to stand across this other actor and just give it to him 
like in a two-hander scene and tell them you know give them the the exposition give them give them the um the the meat of the idea of of that of that monologue of that crisis or should we look at it in terms of what are they in the middle of that caused them to say what they needed to say whether that be the other character saying something that triggers them to say something and there's a great there's a great example which just just came to mind if you guys watch the documentary heart of darkness there is a behind the scenes uh, uh, shot with Francis Ford Coppola working with uh, Marlon Brando. And they improvised his monologue, like towards the end of the film, where he's, uh, he's talking about uh, the bloodlust of human. And yeah. he, he goes on this like crazy winded monologue. Um, and, you, and you look at it and you realize that even when he does that, that monologue, He's always in the middle of something. But yeah, he's Brando sitting there. But what triggers him to actually say those things is Francis Ford Coppola's question. Francis Ford Coppola asks him, what is bloodlust? And then he thinks about it. And he goes, bloodlust, blah, 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 blah. And he asks him these questions to trigger his thoughts, to espouse his ideas based on who his character is. So... That conception of, um, you know, here's the, here's the monologue. I'm just gonna do it without being in the in the middle of something, whether it be, let's say, a physical task or, you know, some uh, response to to the other character, um, is something which really needs to be considered. Otherwise, it just becomes a recital. It just becomes you reading it like you would in a textbook. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, and that's a really good point about the consequences, you know. Like every time that, you know, we do get emotional, there is that consequence of judgment or the consequence of how are you going to react, you know. Like if you're making a stand against someone else, it's almost like a, a stand is like a de- declaration of war. It's a, it's a, you're make, drawing a line in the sta- sand, and they're either going to come across to your side of the line or they're going to stay on their on their side of the line. And there's always that dance of, are you joining me? Are you with me on this or are you against me on this? Am I going to lose you after this or are you with me with it on, on, on this point? Because, I mean, that's what that's generally what happens. If we, if we really, you know, because if you think about it, why are they saying this monologue? You know what I mean? Why didn't they say it earlier? Obviously, it's it, a monologue. Generally, is a build-up of wanting to say this. Otherwise, they would have said it earlier in a in a shorter piece. They would have said, "Hey, stop doing that. It really, I don't like it." And the other character would have said, "Sure, no problem." You know what I mean? If it was like that, then you know it's okay. You know, because it's casual. It's this thing, but it's obviously the reason they're saying the monologue is there's this fear of if I say it. The other person's gonna react in probably not a favorable way because I'm scared to say, tell this person what I want to say. There's something obviously there's something. It's you know, maybe the mother has been, you know, like has been supporting the son. And if he says he really wants to tell his mother off, he hates his mother, but then saying that means that he could be cut off from his mother. All that financial thing. So obviously he has to hold his words. Maybe 
he's like let it go like because i'm you know in the in the story i'm struggling like i've got to pay for a house i'm trying to escape my mother so i kind of need the finances still but something builds something gets triggered and then i say it and then you're like fuck i may have to look for a new job i may be on the streets i'm there may be some big thing otherwise you just say it right away hey mom you're pissing me off you know you there wouldn't be a big a big speech so generally a speech is a build-up. It's a build-up of many little moments just constantly. It's, a snow, it's the snowball coming down that's going to cause the avalanche. The avalanche is the monologue, but it's slowly the, the snowball's rolling downhill and it's gaining momentum, 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 and eventually, you know, the dam breaks. The, all, all the snow falls off the mountain because it has to be said. It has to go because there's no there's no more point that it can stay. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, especially when you have characters that uh, tend to be like, you know, evil and, you know, they're, they're seen as the the anti-hero or they're seen as the tough guy or the tough girl or whatever it is. And the things that they end up doing or saying or whatever it is, um, the ones that tend to... Uh, tend to s- stick with you are the ones that that they have consequences in their actions, and the reason why we we feel that those monologues or those things that they're saying are, are very true to us is because we relate it to ourselves. We relate it to the idea that you know if if this person was saying these things in in real life, that's how they would be saying it because you know I wouldn't be able to say it to my mother like to 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 say all these horrible horrible things yeah he might be saying it that's part of the character but there's still a little bit of um a little bit of those understanding of those consequences that gives the humanity to the character and also i wanted to mention before we move on that the the monologue i spoke to you about uh, with robin williams in goodwill hunting now that I think about it, when he delivers the, the monologue to, to Matt Damon's character on the park bench, it's, it's a five-minute scene that he espouses his ideas to him. And the, the way the monologue starts is reminiscent on, on the ideas of this character being in crisis. It's just what we spoke about. He tells him, you know, I've been thinking about what you said. So it starts the monologue off that way. So his need is... You know, Matt Damon's character, and spoiler alert, but Matt Matt Damon's character has, you know, been, you know, this smart-ass kid that's trying to outwit his, uh, you know, professor. He's he's kind of psychologically pulled him apart that, you know, he's he's trying to break him down like he does to everybody uh, else. Yeah, Robin Williams, is, he's a therapist. He's a therapist. He's, yeah. trying, to, he's trying to break down the therapist um, uh, by using his own tools against him. And it, it obviously gets to Robin Williams' character because the way he starts that monologue is, I've been thinking about what you've said. It means that he, he got to him. He got to him. But the reason he says what he says in that monologue is, uh, you know, even though you think you're this, you know, smart punk kid, here's, uh, here's your, you know, Here's the checkmate. Here's, here's the piece. Because he says, your move, kid, at the end. So his retort to what Matt Damon has said to him is, I've, I've thought about what you've said, but you're wrong. Yeah. And, he and says, th- um, you've kept me up at night. 
Exactly. You've kept me up at night. I've been, I've been thinking about it all night. Exactly. So you know, it's what Dean and I have just said. It's, it's not a monologue. It's a, it's a person in crisis, and they're, they're obviously in the, in the middle of something. You know, he was, he is in the middle of, of something that, um, this middle of something has kept him up all night, meaning that he's been dealing with thinking about his life and what this kid presented to him, that he needed to tell him, that he needed to, to tell him this. So not only he gets it off his own chest, but the kid understands that he can't be doing this to people, you know? Yeah. And, and the, the consequence is he cares about this kid. It's not that just, oh yeah, I'm going to shit all over you. You know, here it is what I think about your ideas. Like there's there's no there's no sense of uh, um, lack of empathy. Like it's it's all empathy through, through getting the other character to understand. Without that without that consequence, it would just be one character talking to another character, talking at another character, two actors rather than two human beings. Yeah, there's that thing of kind of you know if he really goes after him, the kid could leave. You know what I mean? Like this kid needs help. He actually like he desperately needs help. And you exactly. know, to I guess to talk back to your patient or to 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 say something that you've been affected. Do you know what I mean? Like a a therapist is supposed to be unemotional, unaffected by by the patient. But the kid has got to him. He's affected him and and gotten really personal and attacked him. So He's going back at him and like playing in on his playing field and it's like, okay, kid, I'm doing this, but like it's it's probably unethical or against the rules of a therapist to do that. Mm. So he's taking a massive chance and he's just saying, Look, you you need to live life. You don't mm. understand life. You understand it from an intellectual level. And you're a genius. There's no question about it. But you don't you don't know fuck all about anything. Mm. So really I don't care what you think. Really, I can, I can, I can throw everything that you said aside. Yes, you did affect me, but you don't know shit about life. Mm. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you say. Like you affected me, you got me, but you won't get me again. And I a, challenge you, and I challenge you to live life. In yeah, yeah, in a roundabout way, what you're saying is, you know, he's trying to help him. He's not, he's not trying to put him down. Like you know, the the way the one monologue's written and the way it was executed is just, I mean, that that's one of the most you know brilliant monologues you know done done by robin williams um and the way it's written if you look at that monologue the way it's written without knowing or without seeing the actual film you can easily play the attitude of um you know your your move kid as in you know i'm gonna shit all over you because you know you've kept me up all night and you don't know shit basically but the way the way it was uh, delivered, or the way Robin Williams and and Gus Van Sant created that that, that monologue, is just it's pure brilliance because there's a lot of empathy. There's a, there's there's uh, you see a lot of the consequences. He wants to help this kid. You know, he doesn't want to shut it. He knows that he's walking the fine line, like Dean said. You know, he's he's a therapist, he's supposed to listen and help people, but he's walking the fine line of saying, hey. You think you know everything, but here it is. Yeah. Here's all the things, all the cards on the table. Now it's your move. Yeah. So and also like a great piece of writing or acting. Always there's that balance. It's always a it's a, it's, it's always a tightrope act. Always. You know what I mean? Like you 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 fall. To, you, you know it's always that that push and pull. Like it's always that thing of like 
yes, I need to retort and, and get this, but I also need to help you. I'm attacking you, but I'm also trying to help you. You know what I mean? It's never just a full-on 100% attack and it's never 100% uh, help. It's always this a really great character or really is always conflicting you know the suicidal person that falls that falls in love you know what i mean like that's it's the two opposite things it's death and love and love or life you know what i mean it's always a conflict i want to live but i also want to die it's that it's always that yin and yang of 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 character and being a person it's you know that's what it is but if it all goes one way or if, if it's all one color and they're just playing it just on the attack of like, hey, kid, as Bucky was saying, like, hey, kid, I'm going to tell you off for like being a smart ass. Then it's one dimensional and it's boring and it won't be memorable at all. It also um, brings me to another point is if he already has a solution to his problem to, let's say, Robin Williams's character said you know you've kept me up all night you know with with what you said um and he solved that problem of his crisis of whatever whatever the kid said it means the monologue is in, inactive and it's not he's he's he has no need to speak it so one of the things you should look out for is um the problem should not be solved before the words have been spoken. Let me repeat that again. The problem should not be solved before the words have been spoken. The words carry the problem to try to solve it. Whether they solve it or not, it happens in that moment. And this is a very vital piece of information. Because the moment that, let's say, a character is broken down, they're already angry, already upset, already ready to, to, to kill themselves, the monologue has no need. They just skip to it and, and do it. But if, if they've decided that choice, that emotional choice where, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's my crisis as the character that, that um, you know, I hate myself, I want to I wanna kill myself or whatever it is, um, I'm just basically regurgitating the, the words of the monologue rather than trying to overcome whatever it is that I'm speaking through. And that's a very, very important part because you as a director have to watch for actors that tend to uh, lie already uh, in the idea of having solved the dilemma of the character rather than trying to uh, think on those ideas let them kind of bubble up and 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 kind of ferment and then at that moment whatever that whatever that moment may be it may be what the other actor has said it may be what what's happening in the scene that you know they espouse what they need to to to, to espouse it's the i don't want to say it because you might think of it as a technical thing but the trigger what is what is the trigger you can't you can't you can't think of it as a university lesson like it has to be a setup where it's it's it feels so fluid that it's not a trigger it's not you know okay now i'm going to pick up this cup and then i'm going to say it or i'm going to bang the the table and then i'm going to speak speak my line 
know, it's it's something that's that's bubbling inside of them that makes them speak that line. So the other thing I'd say is when you question or you should question what the problem is, you have to question it as a human being fighting for some values rather than an actor fighting for their own problem. Now, this is this is a very kind of minuscule way of looking at it but most actors deal with it within their own problems like i said you know actors love to pick monologues that it gives them the idea to to express it because they've been feeling something inside of them that they need to to express because as uh and it's not psychotherapy but it tends to draw a lot of people that it allows them to espouse their own psychological and emotional uh, baggage now with acting or directing as a craft it's the necessity to find what the character is experience what their problem is as a human being and how that translates through uh, the actor's sensibilities that's their job that's the actor's job but you as the director finding the, the core root problem of why this monologue needs to be spoken you know how it is dealt as a human being with consequences gives you an idea of um, what things you can set up as a scene in terms of a circumstance, in terms of whether it be the other person that says something or, you know, the thing that happens around them, right? Mm. And then you incorporate it as an idea of if your actors tend to come there and uh, do it as a speech or present it to the other person, whether they're sitting across them, get them to start it off as uh, what and ask yourself, what would the character be doing if they weren't doing this speech? In other words, if you weren't allowed to say these words, like if, if you weren't, if these words were never written, what would you be doing? Mm-hmm. And then incorporate that into uh, the monologue. So adding, adding that into the monologue. And now when I say, what would you be doing? Not what the actor would be doing, but what the character is doing, right? So you ask them, what would, the, what would they be doing if this scene never took place, right? What, what else are they doing? Because most, most actors are like, yeah, this, this is my big moment to shine or, or, or the director or whatever. This is my big moment to shine. This is the moment where I'm espousing these ideas, espousing my emotions, whatever it is. But they forget that this, this character lives beyond this moment of this monologue. They've just come from somewhere. They're just going somewhere. W- where are they now based on if this monologue never happened? And how does that tie in to this monologue? If it doesn't tie into the monologue, what else could they be doing, right? What else, what else is it that, that prompts them into being a human being in, this, you know, in, the, in the story, in the circumstance that gives them uh, validity? Mm. And I, you know, if you go and you watch, uh, you, know, you can YouTube anything these days, if you go and you find greatest monologues of all time, watch um, if they are close-ups, you know, of, of the actors giving, giving their big speeches or their big monologues, watch what uh, the scene was beforehand or what they were doing just before or what they're actually doing before the, the close-up just happened, if, if that makes sense. 
because those great actors and, and directors more often than not have uh, created those little nuance, uh, circumstantial, situational moments to prompt the monologue, to, to prompt the, the actor to, to say it. And then possibly the, 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 the close-up happens possibly because of that. But the consideration that this character, something has happened to him just, just before, something has happened or is happening now or could be potentially happening has to be a consideration of the monologue, right? Mm. It has to be, um, and this is how the, the character deals with it. This is how human be a human being deals with it. They deal with it in the sense of this crisis um, has either happened to me, uh, is happening to me, or is going to happen to me in the future, possibly, right? We go back to Robin Williams talking about uh, his, his monologue. Um, the reason why he says it is based on one of those three things. Remember this. It's, it's either happened, it's happening, or it could possibly happen in the future, possibly, right? And, and because of those three things, the character needs to speak. For Robin Williams' character, it's already happened. He says it in the monologue, right? He says, I've been up all night, you know, thinking about what you said. So it's, it's happened. And that's, that's the need on the basis of, of him needing to speak. So if you take those things in, into consideration as a, as a director, you can, um, you can fundamentally allow uh, building of that scene for, for that monologue to know what the triggers are, basically, to know where that monologue has come from. Yeah, because there's always a source of, of you know like a, a source of where where does where does it come from you know is it in the is it in, you know it's even just simpler you know the present the past or the future you know is basically you're either you know you're either dealing with the past the the, the ramifications of the past or you're preventing a worse future for yourself or for, as as the as the character exactly the 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 pitfall I'm glad you mentioned that the pitfall is though um, that Dealing with the past, and and this is um, this is where most monologues uh, are traps for directors and, and actors. And I've I found it myself in 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 my years of, of studying and, and doing it. Um, is where if something's happened in the past, the the monologue doesn't consist, or the speech doesn't consist of them revering on that past, them thinking about that past. No, it's about them dealing about the past events in this present moment. That's it's it's a it's a tiny little it's a tiny little way of of looking at it, but that's where most I've seen most actors miss miss the point. I'm like, I personally witnessed that myself um, for my own acting, um, but it's it's the moment of um, and it's very present in actors that have a glazed look over their eye, and now it's I'm feeling this reverie of this emotional happen of. When I was younger, my my dog died, and um, and uh, I couldn't take it, and now I'm remembering this. No, I'm dealing it in in this moment. As I'm saying this to, to to Dean, I'm 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 explaining it to him. I'm not reliving those events in the past. I'm making mention of those things in the past for the need to speak now, and that need to speak now happens again and again as if for the first time that's that's the trick of the actor not the director's job but i believe the director needs to to be witness of that and be very cautious of um 
seeing that reverie, seeing that kind of glazed look and knowing that that look is basically uh, reliving past moments rather than understanding those moments, having an emotional connection, whatever it is, and dealing with this present moment. And if we go back to Robin Williams, Mm. you know, he said, he says to him, you know, I've been thinking about what you said. You kept me up all night. You know, he's dealing with the with the, the character there. He's dealing with Matt Damon's character there. He's not he's not in his own world going, Oh, I've been thinking about all these things and blah blah blah. You know, he's not, you know, in his own little world talking at him. He's trying to deal with him mm. because he's affected him somehow. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and there's even a bit where he talks about, you know, you haven't smelled the sixteenth chapel. You haven't yeah. looked at the the ceiling, you know right. what I mean? And when he talks about, you know, it's like you can talk about all the things about Michelangelo and everything about his life, the politics, his his sexual preferences, you know, all the mechanics of his paintings and stuff. But you haven't, you've never left Boston, you've never been to the chapel, you never looked looked up in that ceiling, and you know, and Robin Williams in that in that moment, he like he just he, almost like he's been there, like he's imagined. Yeah being back in that thing and and that's what i was talking about before about that you know no pun intended but that that painting of that experience that sensory thing of like he remembers doing that and it's almost like he he takes himself back of like yeah it's 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 an it's amazing to be in this chapel to to smell it to, to be there he doesn't go and and totally take himself there like a crazy person he doesn't go and like like takes a breath and and smells this chapel he doesn't he doesn't do it painted hit it really on the nose but there's a moment where he just looks up and he, he you know like and and imagines looking at this amazing piece of artwork on the ceiling of this amazing chapel yeah it's it's just a it's a moment of understanding i guess that yeah he's he's lived all these things that he's saying and um it just, it's a split second of it and that's that brings up a really good point when when looking at these speeches the the other trap is the arrangement of the words um is the primary primary focus so the arrangement of the words as they've written is uh, necessarily the the aim of the actor rather than the uh, the arrangements that of the thoughts of the uh, character of the human being that's connected to something in 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 this story in this circumstance arrangement of the written words versus arrangement of the of the thoughts behind those words right of the experience behind those words, right? He could be just telling him, oh yeah, you haven't lived this, you haven't done that. But how does the audience understand that he has experienced those things? That's why there's that moment of like, yeah, like it's different when you, when you feel it. And, and you know, then straight away, you know that Robin Williams' character, he's experienced those things because mm. of that. Yeah. And he, ma- he, makes, he makes a huge point. It's, he doesn't dwell on it, but he's dealing with that in that moment. So... That is is something that, as a written text, the arrangement of the words allows you to sometimes, and 
I'm being generous. I'm saying sometimes, but I've most of the times because of I've, I'm seeing a lot of monologues. We're watching a lot of films, um, and and what I tend to see is is the monologue starts a certain way, like it, it starts on a on a like a a small nuanced kind of relaxed way. And then it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And then there's this huge explosion of like, I'm crying or I'm angry or, you know, the emotions just pour out or whatever it is. And that is the trap of, you know, written, uh, speaking the written word, right? Speaking the written word to go, uh, there's a start, middle and an end to this monologue rather than kind of dealing with it as that problem is arising. In that moment, does, does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I was just thinking about the network monologue. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm as mad as a hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. You know, I've seen a lot of people do that monologue and they start off, you know, really, you know, slow, like, hey, this is a problem. There's 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 this problem in the world and, and you know, describing what, like why life is hell right now. And then, you know, and he explains why everyone has to get mad but he's just explaining it and a lot of people just go and they do like a news report like yep this is the world this is happening right now and and then as the as the monologue goes and there's more exclamation points and it's like i was you know you have to rise up you have to get up and say i'm as mad as hell i'm not going to take it anymore and it kind of implies that there's this structure of i start off small and as the monologue goes i get angrier and angrier and angrier but you know he's where, where has he come from you know like what why is he saying it? he's mad already you know what i mean he does he, he's not building up to the mad there's nothing there to like punch the character in the face to get him mad you know what i mean like he's he's mad before he walks into the thing like he's ready like he's seen the things you know he, he's already mad before before he opens his mouth he doesn't need to you know but he has to paint the picture of like why everyone else should get mad but at the start so you know i've done this monologue myself and you know the the advice i got was you got to start at the top of being mad like how the monologue ends you start it from there and then you paint the picture. Then you then you go down the valley and then you go back up to the valley at the top again. And, you know, there's twists and turns and ups and downs, you know, like a, like a what's it called? One of the stethographs. Mm. Um, you know, but, you know, if, you, if it's just a straight line of just angry, 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 like you start and you and, and it stays constant, then that's 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 going to be a boring monologue, you know. Um, but generally, yeah, they generally the, you know, as 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 we've been saying, there's something that that knocks the character to to say these words. So generally, it will start that. I'm not saying every monologue has to be like that, but it's got to punch. It's got to punch hard, and then we go on this journey. It's got to be there's something that's really churning the character to say these words and. It's got to start from something hard. If it starts soft, really soft, then why say it? Why, why say it? Obviously, they can save it for another time, or they can break up this 
this this idea of what they want to say into smaller chunks over a longer period of time. No, this this character has to say all of this now. There's that drive. There's that massive force. You know, like a monologue is basically a, a fight scene. You know, but with words. It's that thing of like, here's my strongest punch, and then we're gonna do this dance. We're gonna do this fight. And hopefully I'll, I'll end on that final blow at the end. But it's that fight of like, okay, are you with me or are you with me? I'm like, are you against me or are you with me? Like, how are we going? We're going on this journey and I'm going to take you there. But hopefully I'm going to land that final blow on you and I'm going to take. But I have to open hard because if I don't open hard, you're going to knock me out or you might take me off that train of thought. Because sometimes that happens as well. Like, you know, generally sometimes the characters that are doing these monologues they have to say it in this thing because other characters are maybe stronger than them and they will derail the the other person from speaking of from 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 saying these thoughts or these ideas that they have to have and have to say so you have to go no i'm going to say it i'm going to be loud so you can't interrupt me you can't stop this train of what i have to communicate to you because if, if you don't, then I'm not going to be able to get to say it because I've maybe rehearsed it in my head or maybe I've gone over it of what I want to say, what I, what I need to communicate to you. So it has to be strong. It has to be fast. You have to knock the other character on their ass because, you know, otherwise they're going to interrupt and be a smart ass. Like that other monologue from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross with Alec Baldwin, you know, you got these other salesmen that are like, "Hey, what are you doing? What's this bozo in the in the suit with the with the with the expensive car? What's he? What's he? You know, I've never seen him before. What's he got to say?" And he comes in and goes, "Hey, shut the fuck up! Hey, coffees for closers only. Sit the fuck down. I'm going to tell you something about what it takes to be a salesman in this racket. Who the fuck do you think you are? You're all a bunch of driving Hyundai's. I'm driving a fucking BMW, Porsche." Whatever the fuck, I got an eighty thousand dollar watch that is more worth more than your whole year's salary that you've made. You son of a bitch! You know he's going in. He's like being the lion. He's being the leader of like, shut the fuck up and listen to me. What I'm gonna say, you motherfuckers. He's not like he's not saying, hey guys, can you guys come in? I gotta say something. Okay, is everyone quiet? Okay, um, so you know people brought me from Mitchell Murray and I've got something to say. Nah, he's like, fuck off. Hey, you fuckers, sit the fuck down and listen to me what i got to say. So, yeah, if you start, you couldn't start that monologue soft. You have to go hard, and then he ends hard as well and just says, hey, man, I don't even have to fucking be here. I told them that, you know, they asked me my advice, why I'm here. I told them to fire your fucking asses. I'm here as a favor to them, not for you. So, you know. Better be on your best behavior because you're going to get fired. You're all fired, actually. You've got to prove yourself to, to unfire yourself. So another great monologue that you guys should check out uh, in the original play. It's not even in the original play that David Mamet wrote in, back in 1983. Uh, it was actually written for the film to, to really build the, the stakes and the world of these salesmen and what they have to deal with and where they've come from and and the the stress of being a, a salesman and the the need to sell that night, that time in order to, uh, for the story to take place. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, it, it warrants the idea that he's actually taking in all the other 
people in that room. He's not just like yelling at them, but there's there's a moment where Ed Harris he uh, he he laughs off, you know what he's saying, and then he kind of comes up to him and he's like, "What are you laughing at?" So he there's that moment where he takes them in, and it, it builds the monologue even more. Like he gives him that energy even more. But I'd say, like we're saying, you know, every monologue has its obviously its rhythm as a director you have to know that rhythm but it's based on the writing like the network monologue says i'm mad as hell and i'm not going to take it anymore he's not saying i'm angry or i'm pissed or i'm I'm a little bit annoyed he's saying i'm mad as hell meaning that it gives you a clue to this character's state of mind now it warrants for you to build that scene to let him espouse those ideas, to let your actors actually deliver those lines based on where those lines stand. You know, if he's mad as hell, obviously, like Dean said, he's he's more likely been, you know, building up this this anger. And now he's to the point where he's he's completely over it that he's he's not angry he's not furious he's mad as hell and he doesn't want to take it anymore so the build-up or the trigger is you as a director um figuring it out with your actors what it is for them to you know organically jump into that scene on that level on that level of of madness right um and just knowing that uh, based on your your script breakdown or based on like breaking down the, the monologue will help you to kind of not play it uh, systematically or on a university level or on an acting level where it's like, you know, I'm going to show what I can do at the end of this monologue because this is where I break down. I'm not going to break down yet because this is, no, forget about that. It's It's circumstantially when when what the monologue offers and what you can kind of uh build on top of that with with your actors and that's your job as a as a director um to basically construct the triggers like i said i don't like using that word but triggers to get them to to say i'm I'm mad as hell i'm not going to take it anymore otherwise if you're just doing it as like two people just you know or just to to the camera yes you can do that but then you know showing uh, or letting the actor come to that uh state you know you can come in as a director and and give them that um feed them that uh line just like coppola did to to to, to brando right he fed him certain lines he fed him and they improvised it Right, he fed him certain things that 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 would trigger, you know, c- certain ideas with with the characters or with his character, or whatever it is. So yeah, I guess the only thing I would uh, just want to bring up is, you know, um, if someone's doing a speech to a big crowd, you know, talking, who's in the audience when you're saying that speech? Do you know what I mean? Most people, if they're doing like, say, it's Steve Jobs doing his presentation in the movie Steve Jobs with Michael Fassbender, you know, and it's just all these different people in the audience. You know, most people look at look at that as, you know, oh, you're just talking to a, to an audience of investors or just of an audience of wanting to buy a product. But generally, you know, like you want to put 
people in the audience that you know they they've been in your life like who who are you trying to move you know when you're giving this speech you know who is this person to you it's not just like a sea of people it's like you know if 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 it's being very general if you if you're looking for another way of, of directing it you know put someone in the audience that you want to convey this message to is it a friend is it a parent is it a lover is it an old girlfriend you know like who would have who would you have loved to have sold this product is it someone that like would have loved this product back in the day you know, is it, you know, a younger version of yourself that would have killed for this product? And that, that's the reason you've, you've made it. Like why, what is the, who, who could you put in there that could challenge the monologue? Where, you know, is it who, like who's the, you know, possibly like the toughest critic that you can put in there in order to oppose that you have to convince that this product is for you. Like who is that for you? And that can be, you know, that's like an acting choice of like, you know, how personal you make it. You can have a private discussion about this with your actors of, you know, you can suggest people. You don't have to tell them, you know, like I suggest this or that because you don't know, but you can try it. If you're looking for another way to do the monologue in a different way, just say, okay, let's try with you know, a mother in the, in the audience. Because now your mother's there, you're not going to, you know, maybe, maybe you won't, you don't swear in front of your mother. So a swear word, a swear word might come out differently if your mother's in the audience as opposed to not in the audience. So there's different ways of making uh, something that seems not as personal. You can't, like, there's always something there, you know what I mean? Like you still talk, it's, all, it's still that two-person scene on a bench but it's just like with lots of people. You want to like have the the actor saying this speech. You want to eliminate a lot of the audience and like who, where, you know, whereabouts in the audience, you know, like maybe if they have to look because it's a big auditorium, then, you know, like you put one parent in one corner, you put another parent in the other corner, you put your girlfriend right in the middle. And you just have these different spots of like, who are you talking to? Who's there? You know, there's a young kid in the audience that you're trying to inspire. And there is an old man or an old teacher that told you you'll never amount to anything and put him in there. So you can get the actors as kind of like a, as a map, as a kind of a, like a, a minefield of where you're going to, you know, like attach these certain parts of the monologue. So that's something else to take into mind when you're doing uh, a big speech auditorium, you're the president of the United States and you're giving your address. If you're Obama, you know, you've, you've probably got some, you know, poor black kids in the audience that are going to be inspired by a black man could be president. And then you've probably, you'd probably want to put some, you know, white redneck Republicans in the audience as well. Like, hey, guess what? Black man's in the White House. Things are going to change and I hope to, you know, convince you that I can do the job. So that's a, a thing to, to color the monologue if, uh, if the actor is amateur or doesn't know 
Um, they've never done a scene like that before because that's it's not a very common scene to do a, a big presentation or a speech, but it's something to definitely keep in mind if you ever have to do something like that. Okay, cool. Let's leave it there, man. Great. Thanks, guys.